Welcome everyone to the Grow and Learn podcast. This is Zorina, your host. Today, we're going to be speaking about giving feedback. What's your capacity to receive feedback? Why is it important? Are you touchy? Are you crying when you're receiving feedback? Or do you find it useful at all? Is feedback something that is outdated uh, and in the past for you? Something that is a part of a... Um, yeah, of, of a dying system of formalities. What is feedback for you? We're going to discover this whole topic with uh, advisor, strategy advisor, coach, and speaker, Glade Holman. Hi, Glade. Welcome. Hi. Welcome. I'm excited to have a chance to share with you anything my experience I hope will be useful to folks that join and listen to your podcast. Um, as you said, I am super passionate about feedback. Uh, you, you kind of mentioned, like, is, is feedback outdated? Our feedback systems um, might be outdated. Um, feedback is not. Right. Uh, it's yeah. vital, but mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, because uh, I've been educated in business and, you know, we in, in organizational behavior, you're taught how to give feedback. You're not taught how to receive feedback, though, which is what you're um, helping people understand and uh, work on. Why is this important? Well, I think it goes back to me partly because we know, right, that generally speaking, most everybody wants to grow. Um, that's part of our natural psychology. If we have our, our basic needs met, you know, we pick up a hobby, we'll um, remodel our house. Uh, we do something to grow and improve. It's part of inborn. If we can't do it on the job, we do it outside of the job. So I know that people want to grow. The other thing that I know is that if you want to grow, you have to be able to receive feedback. With, without feedback, your growth can't is, is, you know, you won't be turning towards the light if you're a plant and you can't see your behavior through your eyes. You can only see it through the eyes of others. Um, we know that. So if I if I love the fact that people want to grow and I want to help them grow, that means feedback has to come into play. And since I can't control who gives them feedback, even though organizations spend a lot of time to train people that right model, the right way to give it to them, I know that most of us aren't surrounded by excellent feedback givers. Um, then I say, well, how can I help the person who needs feedback to grow, because I know they want to, how can I help them take feedback that was delivered poorly, maybe even feedback that was delivered with ill intent, um, and turn it to their benefit? Um, sometimes we feel like feedback is weaponized. Um, it's used against us. I want feedback to be used for you. Um, and so that's why I've chosen to kind of focus on, I can't control who gives you feedback, but I can help you receive it. Um, and I think that's actually step number one to learning how to give it, to tell you the truth. I see. Okay, so the first thing that comes to mind um, outside of the formal feedback, um, annual feedback reviews is constructive criticism. This is like a term used everywhere. And to me, constructive criticism is actually equal to criticism. There is no such a thing as constructive criticism. <laughs> what is your opinion on, on... So how do you actually point out the things that could be improved without giving constructive criticism? You know, I'm really glad you bring that up um, because I think one of the things that I will, um, most of the framework um, that feedback comes to us from in the professional setting comes from a measure and assess framework um, and rather than a grow and improve framework. Um, I, and I've had somebody, somebody asked me like, hey, Glade, you're like a feedback guru. If you could wave one thing and change, what would it be? Um, and I said, well, I wish I could actually change the playing field of where feedback is delivered from measure and assess to grow and improve. Because measure and assess makes it feel like I'm not going to measure up. And that's where criticism comes in. Mm -hmm. Grow and improve, rather than being criticism, it feels like advice. Um, right? It's advice on where I want to go. So if I could just shift the mind from a measure and assess mind 
to a grow and improve, that's great. Um, and that, that taps into all that stuff. I know in your podcast, you're very familiar with, you know, with um, Carol Dwick's growth mindset work. If you can get the mind to be around growth rather than about measuring, you're going to be a much better spot. So when I think of criticism, you're right. It usually makes the red flag go up because what happens is that's coming from measure and assess. And if it's coming from measure and assess, basically your brain is going to say, ooh, I might lose something. If your brain thinks it might lose something, the amygdala, you know, gets involved mm -hmm. and triggers that fight flight prompt re response. And part of that fight flight response is to take the blood and push it to the heart and the limbs and away from the prefrontal cortex and the brain where we want to do reflect and learn. So I agree with you. Criticism does that. It actually goes to the amygdala, gets me fight flight and drains the blood from my prefrontal cortex. Where I want to reflect and learn. So I say shift you to grow and improve away from measure and assess. And that's our best bat because then criticism is advice. Mm -hmm. I'm not criticism. And I want advice. And by the way, people are happy to give advice, sometimes more so than feedback um, because they know feedback triggers people. So I, I, that's, a, that's the mind shift for me is to move from measure and assess to grow and improve. How would this fit into the existing? I'm, I'm talking about companies now, not uh, not uh, receiving feedback on an individual level outside of a work situation. But let's say companies. How does this fit into the currently existing system of uh, annual appraisals, bonus appraisals, and so performance reviews? You know, I'm really glad you asked. I know there's there's so much um, work. The performance management systems that are traditional have been around for decades. Um, and they don't reflect what we know about the way people learn and the way people grow and the way you motivate people. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the most one of the things that you can say about most performance management systems is the last thing they do is improve in performance. Um, people tend to use them to allocate rewards. Right. Um, and they say, we'll use the performance position here to allocate rewards, not to help people grow and improve. And guess what? When you connect feedback that's past oriented to a reward, what you end up with is dissatisfaction, not satisfaction. So your performance management system actually ends up demotivating people more than motivating people, even people at the top. There's good research that shows like, oh, wait, meets expectation, far exceeds expectations. That's all measure and assess, right? Mm -hmm. And you you can you tell someone they're a three or you tell someone they're a four, there's nothing more dehumanizing than to be declared a number that yeah. doesn't capture who you are. And so Unfortunately, although they're well-intended and we say they are to manage performance or improve it, they end up saying we need some way to allocate rewards and we're going to use this system. It actually demotivates and undermines performance. Um, so if you can shift away from the hard link between performance and the absolute reward, you actually do better mm -hmm. um, than that. And, and organizations are are finding that out. Um but they're really reticent to leave a system that feels tangible, feels objective, although it is as subjective as anything else. They're very reticent to leave it. But my sense is, look, it's not actually improving performance. It's not motivating employees. In fact, we can show the research that says, hey, performance improvement um, process executed here, employee morale engagement decreased. Mm -hmm. So I say, hey, would you like to decrease employee morale and engagement? Well, here's a great way to do it your annual performance review process. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, oh, wait, I don't want to do that. Well, then you better change your annual performance review process, target it more to grow and improve rather than to measure and assess, separate those conversations, think about allocations of rewards separately. Um, so you can actually have a real conversation and lean into, you want to grow and improve, let me give you the feedback that you need to grow and improve. Mm 
Have you had uh, any experience consulting and, and changing um, these systems, the performance systems in companies already? Yeah, we've done. We've had some good success in that, um, and we've had some success where we're able to move them a step closer to what we know science teaches us about human motivation. Um, and there's a reticence to do it. So, you know, like I have one client where we just actually the one thing we were able to do is just change the scale. So rather than meets expectations, you know, far exceeds expectations. That expectations, we it was like um, on track, moving forward, pioneering the way. Um, uh, and so it's like, oh great, I'm on track. You know, there was falling behind, falling behind meant I'm, I'm, you know, I'm struggling to keep up. And then there was off track. Now off track's a very clear message. You know, here you're, you're on the right track. You're falling behind. You're on track, right where you should be. You're paving the way. You're pioneering going forward. That just changed the nature of the conversation, um, much more so just by changing the scale, and then not allowing the scale to be defined down to just one number. Because we know if the one thing that the brain hates is when you assign you just one number. Because we say, I'm more than a number. No one goes home and says, guess what? I'm a three, you know? I guess what? I was assessed, it meets expectations, hooray. You know, that, that's not a point of celebration, yet that's the score we give everyone. Um, so if you can avoid that, having multiple messages, what I see by that, not distilling it into one point is a big step. Um, and then the link, that you make between that and rewards doesn't have to be this tight, tight relationship that everyone thinks means I'm pay for, pay for performance. Mm -hmm. It can be, most managers know already how to reward their people and their pay. They don't need a system to do it. They know who their good performers are. They know who their poor performers are. Um, the, and then what happens is they use the formalized system and they game it to match what they already know in their head. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you can trust your manager trust them to make those allocations and not think that the algorithm you use is going to be better than their judgment because they're just going to manipulate their judgment, you'll find you'll get a much better system. So we've tried to take away that, rely more on the manager, and it takes a leap of faith. But I can tell you this, every place that we've done it, it's improved the perception of the performance management system, and they've actually ended up being cheaper to implement and have less dissatisfaction by empowering the manager Right. And then if a manager does it wrong, you give them feedback, mm -hmm. you know, in the same way. So it's a hard thing to overcome. But I just think, why can't we use what we know from brain science and put that into our systems rather than going with something that was developed way back in the in the 50s, actually, to start with? And, and you know, helping people on a on a conveyor belt improve their performance rather than knowledge workers. Right. You, say, you said something really interesting, which was that the, the managers map the performance to uh, the performance of the people to match the system, the me uh, measurement that is created. But furthermore, that I'd like to add here is that they actually map not only the system, but the level of budget that they have per department, which is even worse. So they would have to map you to a certain level so that you not only match the performance, but match the budget that they have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think you want to move away from this idea. I, I would say separate the conversation from how do I allocate rewards to how do I help my people grow and improve yeah. um, and, and separate those, those systems because you can't, yes, I can tell you at the end of the year how we're going to allocate rewards, but you need to grow and improve and receive feedback across the entire year. Um, so let's talk about how you can grow and improve across the entire year. And then the results will follow, you know, the rewards will follow. Um, we know that for knowledge workers, 
that's not the, the idea that think we're going to motivate someone by offering them a huge prize at the end motivates them to be more creative. It doesn't. It actually motivates them to be less creative mm-hmm. um, because the more there is at risk, the less likely they are to think outside the box. Okay. So the higher, the bigger the reward, the less likely you are to get innovation. Um, and research shows us that over and over and over again in every scenario. Mm-hmm. So people think I'm going to motivate these people by offering them a huge carrot at the end of the year. That's great. That means I'm going to go with what's tried and true. The areas of my brain that do innovation shut down because it's too much to lose that. And so then I go, I narrow my focus and I focus on what I know and I don't get what the organization wanted. But that's, that's our systems don't reflect it. But that's where I say too, when I come back and I say, you know what? I, I know that people are going to live in those systems um, in the organizations they sit. I know they still want to grow and improve. I can still help them grow and improve even though they're in a flawed system. Um, by helping them learn this skill of receiving feedback. Um, And and, and I'll say my phrase is receive feedback graciously and then act on it visibly. I say receive it graciously so that it keeps coming. And that underlines the idea that, you know, I can't see feedback except through, I can't see my behavior except through the eyes of others. So if I don't get feedback, I'm blind. Um, So accept it graciously. However it comes, whatever you think of it, accept it graciously so it never stops coming. And then act on it visibly so people know you're about learning and growing. You know, so many times people will say, wait, I, if, I, if I accept feedback, that's me acknowledging a weakness. And then I act on it. That's me saying I have a flaw and I get a jagged, I get a jagged career path rather than a clear one. Don't I want to hide my mistakes? I'm like, no, you don't. You want everyone to know you can learn and grow. So rather than hiding your mistakes, you learn and grow. I'll, I'll tell you a quick, a quick story on, on that. Working with a large pharmaceutical company several years ago, two R&D sciences up for head of R&D. Okay. So if you're the head of R&D and you're a research scientist, that's the pinnacle of your career, right? And you are literally has a future of the company in your hands and you have billions of dollars at your disposal to figure out how to use it. So it's a big deal. I'm listening to the board have the conversation, looking at two candidates. One candidate has a perfect track record, just just an unmitigated stream of successes. Everything touched turned to gold. The other candidate has a stumble recovery, stumble recovery, stumble recovery kind of profile. Who do they go with? Well, on paper, you know, I'm working with both these individuals. You think, go with the guy that's been perfect. They said, no, not that guy. We want this guy stumble and recovery. The one that had the pattern of learn and grow, learn and grow, because we know they're going to come up against something they can't tackle. We need to know that they can recover and that they can grow. And if they can grow, we're very comfortable putting them into new positions. So when I work with someone and maybe I've got a 360 survey that I'm doing with them and there's and there's really beautiful feedback in it, but no helpful feedback. I'm a little bit discouraged because the one thing I want that person to build is a track record of learn and grow. And that means make visible your flaws so that others can see you address them and grow. Um, make visible that you've left your comfort zone, that that fellow that had the perfect 360, um, I said to him, we're going to repeat this in 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 twelve in twelve months, and I want you to have lower scores. And he goes, "What? Huh? What do you mean lower scores?" I said, "Like these scores tell me that you are absolutely in your comfort zone, and that's it. Um, you're at the very top of your mastery. We need to stretch you into new areas. And when you go to a new area, it's natural to get feedback mm-hmm. um, that might be difficult or challenging. So, so you're just staying home in this comfort zone. We want to move you." into a new spot where you would expose yourself to getting more feedback that will help you grow rather than just confirm your growth to date. 
This isn't about confirming. This is about learning. Um, and so stretch outside of it. Um, so those are some mindset stuff I bring in when I start to work with somebody. Look for that pattern of learn and grow. Um, don't hide it. Accept feedback. Even when you don't, quote, agree with it, you receive it so that it keeps coming. Um, mm -hmm. Those are some ideas that I can use to help individuals trapped in whatever system they are to grow. All right. So when, when you're when when you're giving feedback yourself, how do you move away from the, the part of constructive criticism? Do you focus on the growth or is there another formula that you're following? You know, it's a, I, I'm glad you asked. We actually do. Um, um, I, we, we term uh, a, a couple like a six, we have like six moves that someone can do that we talk about that will help you take feedback regardless of where it comes from and turn it to your benefit. Um, and we actually use the metaphor of jujitsu, which, you know, is a, is a Japanese combat martial art. And I'm not saying feedback's combat, but, but we use the metaphor of jujitsu because of it was a response to the samurai warrior. And the samurai warrior had the perfect of everything, right? Best sword, best training. I'm a peasant. How can I go up against a samurai warrior and win? Well, I can't. I'm not going to outfight him with my sword. My armor's not going to be as good. I can't meet them head on. So in jujitsu, the jitsu part translated means skill. Ju means flexible and yielding and gentle. You take the energy that's coming before you, you receive it, and you grapple with it, and you roll with it, and you come out in a position of benefit. So you don't face it head on. So you, you receive it and grapple it and come out and you, you yield to it. You gently supple move to it. So I'll talk about what are the moves you can use to take the feedback, however it is, poorly delivered, well-delivered, ill-intended or not, and, and manipulate it to your benefit, regardless of where it comes from. So you say, what do you do to do that? Well, the first one is whatever it is, you translate it into the grow, grow, you, wherever measure and assess is, you translate the word to grow and improve. Um, but you say, hey, Briglade, is there another way that you can talk? Each one of the moves we have to help you. But one I think that's really useful that lines up nicely with Grow and Improve is make the feedback about be about next time, not about last time. Um, so just shifting the conversation from last time to next time puts you in a space where you don't go into fight flight, but instead you go into learn grow. Um, I'm on a phone call with a manager who is just giving feedback to her direct report who had presented to the C-suite and the presentation didn't go well. And so she's trying to give the individual some coaching. I'm, I'm listening to it in the session and the individual's kind of going, she's saying, you know, hey, how did you think it go? It's like, it didn't go well, you know? And, and, and he's like, well, it's because I didn't have enough time or they were all in a bad mood. It was right after lunch, everyone was tired. And he came up with all these excuses as to why it wasn't, it wasn't great. I didn't, I didn't have the right framing. And she finally said, you know, to the individual, you know, Joe, stop, stop. I'm not so concerned about last time. You're going to present to the same group in two weeks. I'm concerned about that time. What are we going to do about the that, that time? So just the simple transferring from talking about the task in the past to talking about it in the future actually leverages the part of your brain you want to engage, which is the prefrontal cortex. Prefrontal cortex right there in the front, it does the projection into the future. Um, and when you are defending, that's the amygdala fight flight response. And that shrinks blood from there. By just telling you to think about next time and go to the future, that sends a signal to the brain that says, oh, prefrontal cortex, that's your role. You, you talk about the future, better send some blood back there. And so you can just shift 
to that play of field next time rather than spending so much time about last time. So whether it's right, wrong, one thing I know about every piece of feedback you're ever going to receive, actually two things I know about it, that feedback you're going to receive is going to be biased and it's going to be incomplete. That's true of every piece of feedback you're ever going to receive. So you can always dismiss it if you want to. You can always explain it away based on the bias, the lens the person used, and the fact that they don't know everything about you. So you can dismiss it. So that's why I say don't spend so much time about the past. Just learn about that and project it to the future. What about next time? So that's one of the best ways I know to get you out of a, a fight flight into a grow improve is to make it about next time, not last time. Well, what about if you, if you have an inherent fear for receiving feedback? Let's say you were traumatized in some way in you know, be it in childhood or in your previous <laughs> work relationship and with your employer. And then when, whenever you're about to receive that feedback, you just don't want to hear what they have to say about you. Sure. I mean, and that's, that's very, that's very natural. What you're describing is when the amygdala is going to get triggered because the amygdala is tries to, tries to keep you safe, right? Um, that was, it sits right above the brainstem and it sends out that stuff and does the fight flight response. Um, and so I've had that in the past and I've gotten feedback in the past. And so now I think, ah, it's going to be, I feel like my safety is challenged. And if I feel my safety is challenged, I'm going to be in a bad spot. So how do I overcome my fear of feedback? I have a couple of things that I'll use for folks that I call, I'll say, look, here's a mantra. Use this mantra in your head. Um, and the first one, when they're really concerned like that, I'll say, it's not about me. It's about what they see. Um, you know, it's not about me. It's about what they see. Most of the times when we get triggered is because we feel it's about me and it's my identity. No one can tell you who you are, particularly on the observations they have between nine and five. You're very complex. You're very nuanced. All they can tell you is about what they see. And when people see something, they'll see three things and they create a story to connect those three data points. It's just natural human behavior to create stories. We remember stories, we don't remember principles. So I see three data points and I create a story for that. So it's not about you, it's about what they see and the narrative they write. So feedback is just figuring out what's the narrative that person has in their head. I see you came to the meeting a little late once. The next time I see you in the meeting, I see you distracted looking off to the other person. The next time I see you come to the meeting, you left early. Um, I connect a story that says this person's not engaged. They don't really like their job. They're not here. And I create a whole story around that. And then I, and I apply it to that person. All, all they did is they saw three things and they created a story. So when you are receiving feedback, you're going to hear narratives. Those narratives are false. Some of them are better than others, but they're narratives. And you're not going to change who you are. To change the narrative, you just change what they see. Um, you change. You can change what they see. You're not going to change who you are. So that's the first mantra is it's not about me. It's about what they see. I can work with what they see. I don't have to change me. I can work with what they see. I, I have the power to rewrite that narrative. It might take a little time because once the narrative sets in, confirmation bias takes over. But I can do it with, with really designed behaviors that I can do to rewrite the narrative in that person's head. So that's one, one spot I go to. Um, another one that I think is, um, is, is I already kind of alluded to it. It's, it's, it's not about me. It's what they see. It's not about last time. It's about next time. If I can just communicate those two things in my head, I'll play them in my head before I sit down for the feedback. Um, I'll play the over and over my head before I sit at the performance interview. Okay. It's not about me. It's about what they see. Um, it's not about this time. It's about next time. If I just play that there, it helps me stay in a space where I can grow rather than a space where I defend. Um, and just remind yourself, you're always a work in progress. Every last one of us are. 
um, I have an area of expertise and someone was giving me feedback on that area of expertise that I just wanted to dismiss because I was like, I obviously know more than them. I'm obviously better experienced than them. And I wanted to dismiss it until I reminded myself, Glade, are you done learning? Can you still learn? You know, are, are is your book written or is there another chapter? And it's like, and finally I said, you know what? No, I can still learn and grow. I can hear this feedback. I can still learn and grow. That's that's the other one. So I just I pick on those phrases and I arm you with those when you go into the setting and play them over on a loop. And you got a good chance at keeping the amygdala at bay and the prefrontal cortex engaged with the oxygen it needs to actually reflect. Remember, it's not about you. It's about what they see. Not about last time, it's next time. And you can still learn and grow. Um, that puts you in a generative space um, rather than in a de defensive space. All right. And, and is there a way you can ask for feedback when, um, you know, and, and not seem uh, either pushy or uh, like looking, pushing yourself up the ladder too much? Because this is what usually happens. People like, tell me, did I perform well? Or how would you normally ask for, a, for feedback as an employee? So um, two quick uh, thoughts for you on that one in, in two different scenarios. Yes. One is I'll often get someone that says, Glade, I don't, I want feedback to grow, but I don't get it. I ask for it and I get general pats on the back or very vague feedback. Um, I don't get anything, no one gives me anything constructive. And and sometimes um the reason is is because people are afraid that they'll trigger you. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable to tell somebody a hard message, right? Because you don't know how they'll respond. So oftentimes people don't give it to you, even though you ask for it. That's 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 one scenario. The other thing I think you talked about is like, can I just can I appear too pushy because I'm trying to climb up? But let me let me take the first one where I'm trying to get feedback from others around me, but it's not coming in a way that's useful to me. What can I do? Um, I'll say first off, you want to make it as easy as possible for other people to give you feedback. Um, and so don't expect them to be well trained. Uh, don't expect them to be thinking about you all the time and about what you can do to improve. Recognize that you've got you you've got to help them do it. And so I'll say the first thing is, I wouldn't ask them for general feedback. I narrow the field. So I go with a specific ask. I say, I just presented to the group, um, I, or I'm working on one-on-ones -on -ones with my with my direct reports, and I'm not, I'm struggling there. So I narrow the focus. I don't say, just give me any general feedback. I say, I want focus, I want feedback in this area because I'm trying to grow and improve there. And then rather than asking for feedback, ask for advice. Um, we did a little experiment um, anecdotally, and then I found some research to back it up. The difference between asking for feedback and asking for advice and what you get in return. Mm -hmm. So in a 360 survey, often at the last question might see any additional feedback for this person. Um, and that that's one question. Rephrase it as any additional advice for this person and then see what comes back. When we ask for feedback, we get like this much information, you know, just a very small amount, um, an inch or two. When we ask for advice, we get paragraphs. We get about three times about the information when we ask for advice and we do for feedback. So if you find you're not getting feedback from those around you, narrow the focus so you make it easy for them to target their thoughts and then say, what advice do you have for me to grow and improve? Mm -hmm. um, and just that, when I ask for advice, I'm putting you as an advisor on acknowledging your, your knowledge. If I ask for feedback, I'm asking you to be a judge and a critic. Right. And the judge and a critic is uncomfortable an advisor and consultant and coach guy is, is more laudatory. Um, so you'll get much better by asking advice than feedback, but narrow the focus. Um, that's, 
don't know if that, that's helpful to your question that you were yes, addressing. Yes, very, very, very helpful, actually. I was wondering, is there some um, extraordinary example or story you could share with us of a turnaround in performance um, or creativity or whatever, however this person has measured themselves after the, learning to receive feedback? I have one that just pops into my mind. Um, one organization had uh, deemed me like the, the VP whisperer or something like the guy that could make anybody become a VP if they wanted to be, um, which is not true. Um, but but I, it's funny, I just had an individual 18 months ago, um, they'd come into an organization and they had a conflict with an employee that was and, and they're, they're, they were coming back into the workforce and they were coming in with behaviors that weren't working and their behaviors were not useful. They were behaviors that needed to change for sure. Um, unfortunately, one of the individuals they had a challenge with on this behavior setting, um, as she was beginning to work with it, said, I'm leaving the organization. And while I'm leaving, I'm going to throw you under the bus. I'm going to destroy your career um, by writing um, a long letter, submitting it to the board uh, as a whistleblower. And then I'm going to distribute that to the entire department and every stakeholder you've worked with on how lousy of a manager you are. And some of the information in that letter was actually on the mark. Now, obviously, that's not the way to do it. That person was wrong, all that kind of stuff around it. And the head of the HR person came and says, Glade, is there anything we can do with this individual? I'm like, boy, I don't, you know, like, I think what we might have to do is just they're going to have to start over someplace else because this has just been too, there's too much out there to, to have her be able to overcome this. And she said, no, we can't do that. I want to keep her. Will you work with her? I said, okay, I'll work with her. Um, and so we did work with her. But the first thing I had to work with was that I knew, you know, I mentioned that there's like, it's not about me, it's about what people see and that they create a narrative about a person. The narrative that she had, people were carrying in their brain about her was not a narrative that was going to serve her well for her success. And so we had to talk about how do we change the narrative in each, in, in each one of that. So how do we change the narrative of the people on your team? You know, um, the narrative right now might be, you know, Jen doesn't listen to me. She only cares about performance and she runs right over the top of me. Well, what would you, does that narrative help you? No. Is that the narrative? Yes, it is. What would you like the narrative to be? I'd like the narrative to be from my direct reports. Jen understands me. She's got my back and she trusts me. Okay. Well, if that's the narrative that you want your direct report, what will they have to see to rewrite you know, scratch out that old narrative and write the new one. Um, and part of it was, well, okay, I'm going to change the way I do my one-on-ones. So I'm going to start my one-on-ones with a conversation as tell me what's going on in your business rather than me telling them what I need from them. What else, what challenges do you have? What can I help? So we just changed the structure of our one-on-one, but we also had to do one other thing. And that is we had to go her direct reports and she had to say, look, I know in the past, I've probably behaved not appropriately with you sometimes. Um, I want to change that and I'm going to do it. I'm going to make mistakes, but I need feedback along the way. So she had to actually call attention to that narrative that was not attractive and say, I want to change that narrative because if you don't call attention to that negative narrative and think it'll just change over time, we're lazy. We don't rewrite stories about people um, very easily. We, we, we look for confirmation bias. So I said, you got to call it out and say, I want to change that narrative. I don't like it. I'm sorry for that. I want to change it. Watch my behavior. Give me a thing. So we just took each category of stakeholder 
figured out the narrative that was about her and then said, what will they have to see to change it? Started with her direct reports, then moved to her peers, then moved to her boss, then moved to her boss's boss, and then moved to her boss's periods. And we just looked at the narratives that existed and said, how can we rewrite them? And within 18 months, she was promoted to VP from being someone that was going to be tossed out of the organization. Wow. Because we just tackled each narrative and knowing the way people tell stories, you know, she was willing to take on the feedback and she got excited because she now she's known. And I, like, I had a conversation with her boss and it's like, I want to throw new responsibilities to this person because now she's shown that she can learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And when she's shown that she, so she's actually better off than if she didn't have that fall. Right. Because now they say, we can give you something new. But that was so exciting for her um, because that's what she wanted. Now, of course, she's going to backslide. And she will. And then she'll demonstrate she can learn and grow. But the idea that she's seeking feedback now Mm -hmm. um, and she's actively controlling the narrative that others write by finding out what that is. That's why when when someone rejects feedback, right, when they say no, thank you to the feedback, it's stupid. Um, When I say stupid, why is that? Because you need to know the narrative they're writing. Um, I have one fellow who's all the way into the C-suite Fortune 500. He's excellent at never shutting down poor feedback that's coming to him. <laughs> Why? He's like, I, I see the feedback. I'm like, It's so off base, so off the mark. He says, Glade, that's my window into their brain. Mm. Um, I get to understand them so much better by the feedback they give me. They're revealing so much more about themselves than they are about me. And I take that knowledge about them and I use that. You know, like say someone says, you're a micromanager. That's coming from your direct report. You could say, well, you're incompetent. That's why I micromanage you. But no, he says, I'm a micromanager. What does that tell me about, about that person? Well, that person says, I like autonomy. Someone says, you're stubborn. What is that person saying about them? I like to have influence. You know, almost any piece of feedback someone gives you, you can learn more about the giver than you can the receiver. And then you take that knowledge about the giver and you say, great, well, I can deal with that. He wants more autonomy. Well, I, I can't give it to him in this situation because he's new there and I can tell him that. I can say, look, over time, you're going to get more autonomy, but right now not. Or I can put him someplace where he can, but we can talk about what's important to them, not about who I am. Wow. Glade, this has been uh, invaluable uh, advice and really I'm going to use the word advice more often from now on <laughs> rather than feedback. <laughs> I, I, I really uh, picked up a few um, very important concepts here uh, that uh, that are going to stay with me. Thank you so much for this. Um, and, and from the examples that you just gave, well, what stayed with me was the um, the, uh, the addressing the issue by uh, acknowledging it in front of the other people. So, so the addressing seemed to be very important. At least this is what I picked up <laughs> for myself. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Thank Absolutely. you so much, uh, Glade. Really, this was an incredible uh, insight into the world of, you know, organizational development and how to give feedback and uh, further grow. How can people find you? Well, thank you for the you? opportunity. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. <laughs> how can people reach you? What? Who do you work with? What is the name sure. of your... Yeah, of your... Very, very easy to find me, um, uh, learningbridge.com. So that's our website. Um, but uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Glade.Holman, you know, Glade Holman, uh, you can search me out there. Um, there aren't very many Glades out there, so it's very easy to find me. But I'm very passionate about talking about how you can use feedback to get what you'd like to out of your career um, and changing feedback from being something that's weaponized to something that energizes you.
regardless of how it comes. Um, that feedback can be critical, but I want to tell you, let's get rid of that phrase and make it generative. All feedback can be generative. And that's what I'm passionate about, helping people find that, find that process and use that adjective to describe feedback rather than any other adjective out there. Mm -hmm. well, who are your main clients? Are they the leadership team, HR? Who, who consults you normally or people who want to grow in their career? So I do a fair amount of work in the C-suite and even with CEOs, but not limited specifically there. Um, oftentimes it'll be at two or three layers down the organization. And then I do have, you know, I do do executive coaching across the board um, because I like to, I like to make the leader of the team successful. Um, that means I'm going to work with their team members too. So that keeps me going down. Um, but the principles apply whether you're in the C-suite or you're on the front line. In fact, it's almost harder when you're in the C-suite because people stop giving you feedback and you need it there mm -hmm. more desperately. No one's going to tell the king, you know, the emperor has no clothes. They don't, they don't do that. Um, so I, I end up working up there because I'm, I'm better at helping them get feedback when they have really limited access to it and because nobody gives it to them. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was really insightful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.